Welcome back, everybody. This is Eric and Matt, and this is Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit, your beacon of freedom and the American way of life. Tune in every Friday for a new episode as we dive into the world of liberty and what makes our country great. All right, Matt, getting into today's podcast, we're going to discuss disaster preparedness. Yes, sir. Uh, You know, we had a recent episode we did on the coronavirus and got into a couple of things. Now, there actually have been some developments even past the previous discussion that we had about the coronavirus. Now, I just got word, and this is literally minutes ago, that Trump is going to go on national TV here in a little while and declare a national emergency over coronavirus. Now, we can't speak out of turn and say what the ramifications of that are going to be. I wish we had more details, but at the cutting of this particular podcast, we're going to discuss disaster preparedness. And with that uh, comes several different things to consider, right? And, um, and I don't, and this is not going to be a tirade about coronavirus, but I will mention that coronavirus is sort of the reason that we're diving into this because I feel like your average person at large generally is not as well prepared as they possibly could be for a potential situation. Now, when we say a disaster, it could be man made, it could be natural. There are lots of things that can cause a disruption of goods and services. But I would say the disruption of goods and services is probably the most immediate concern that the average person is going to have any type of uh, idea about. And that means, you know, uh, disruption of power, Internet, water, uh, those things being probably the most um, immediate things that you're going to recognize when it comes to preparedness. And I know the term prepper gets thrown around a lot. And I really do feel it's unfortunate that the word prepper has gotten such a negative connotation because um, around the 80s, mid to late 80s, there was a huge prepper movement that was going on. And prepping was a really big deal. And it's still a big deal amongst a lot of people. So what I want this podcast episode to be about is about everyday man preparedness, just being ready for disruption of goods and services and we're going to touch on that a little bit and talk about some of our individual experiences with this sort of thing. Indeed. And I think that um, you nailed it. The The negative connotation with preppers is that, you know, doomsday prepper, where they just take it to the extreme. And listen, guys, every, uh, I guess, hobby out there, there's the extreme side of it where there's a, a group of people that take it to the extreme. And there's nothing wrong with uh, doomsday prepping. If that's what you believe in, uh, you can do it. Uh, bunkers, like $250,000 bunkers and food stores for 10 years. Guys, this we're free folk. If you want to do it, do it. No one can tell you not to. Um, now, what this episode really wants to hone in on is your uh, everyday preparedness. Um, you know, the basics. Statistically, most people don't have enough food and water to last them a week if you lost services, if you lost water service, if you lost power. Um, most people are used to being able to go to the grocery store weekly and grab your weekly allotment of groceries that you need to get. Um, you know, they're neglecting to have uh, an extra case of water. I know, for uh, example, I carry an extra case of water in my trunk. Uh, my wife carries an extra case of water in her trunk. Um, we have two cases, like these are Costco cases of water, like 36 
bottles of water. Um, it's not, it's not that hard to do just to keep one in the trunk. Um, you know, actually a couple extra cans of food, you know, little things like that. But most importantly, uh, the most often neglected thing is medical supplies, just basic medical supplies, uh, antiseptics. Um, and I'm not a, a medic and anything like that, but we do make sure that we carry hydrogen peroxide, clean the wounds because, you know, things happen, you get cut, you know, little scrapes turn into to big infections. So number one thing I would say, uh, just keep some extra medical supplies, things to keep those and those wounds clean. Um, and then, you know, I know Eric will probably go in on uh, butchering and meat because that's like he's a hearty meat butcher kind of guy. I am not, but I am not opposed to it. I eat meat, but I'm just not a butcher. Um, but keep those medical supplies. And hopefully we can dive into a, a more detail on what Eric would consider uh, a good preparedness plan. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and I, and I want to basically make the distinction that I'm just an average dude and I, I kind of see the world the way I see it and my views are mine. Uh, I'm not an expert and I don't claim to be an expert on any of this type of subject matter. These are merely just my observations and take them for what you will, of course. Uh, use you know, your own research and your own study uh, to whatever degree you need to. Uh, the most recent situation that I can directly relate to was Hurricane Irma. All right, when Irma came through, it was pretty devastating, right? It, it definitely caused a lot of destruction down in Florida in the Panhandle area. Uh, of course, my my home away from home, Port St. Joe, was hit really hard. Uh, that's a city that is very close to my heart, and I spent a lot of time there as a young man. So it was really hurt me to go down there and see the citizens of Port St. Joe and Apalachicola going through so much uh, strife. And um, it's also eye-opening because you look at this situation, you're like, wow. These people are suffering so much, but they've come together as a community, and they're doing so many good things for each other. And it was heartwarming to see all of the work that people were willing to put in. Like, they would get their area cleaned up, and then they go help their neighbor. And so I think that there's this misconception about disasters, that it's going to be this standoff, and that, you know, you're worried about your neighbors coming to steal your food or something. No. I mean, people were coming together, and the restaurants would make big batches of food, take out and feed people That's free of awesome. charge. I mean, it's just so cool that everybody put in the work to take care of their communities and each other. And that's what it comes down to. So first and foremost is be willing to be a team player no matter what. No matter what situation you're in, whatever you have, always be willing to share it with the people around you and, and make the world you immediately uh, interact with a better place by your presence. As long as you have that attitude – and life is going to go on. It's going to get better. So Irma, in terms of where I'm at, I'm in middle Georgia. So we didn't quite have the destruction up here. Now, we had a few telephone lines get down, some trees, a couple of things like that. I took preemptive measure. Uh, there were a few trees uh, close to my house that were a little bit sketchy and getting on. I actually um, <laughs> I cut down a big water oak. And this sucker was like 80 feet tall. It was humongous. I cut down a humongous water oak on my property and because uh, I was worried about the uh, hurricane pushing that water o oak over on my house. So I did cut down a couple of trees that were close to my house. Getting outside of the vein of hurricane preparedness, I just felt that was a smart move because I didn't want to risk you know, a tree falling on my house. But there were some trees down. And we were without power for about seven days. And you think, okay, power, no big deal, right? Oh, yeah, you can live without power for seven days. And people kind of play it off. 
But when you become so dependent on electricity every day, I mean, this world that we live in is a modern marvel, and it's all ran by electricity. And when you're without it for seven days, it puts a lot into perspective about how nice it is to have that electricity. Right, oh, yeah. everything from air conditioning, refrigeration, uh, simply just watching TV, uh, you know, is is a comforting measure. Right, it increases morale to be happy. Right, so um, yeah, charging phones, internet uh, gateways, all of these things require power. So we were out power without power for seven days, and I, I have two Honda E two thousand inverter generators. I ran my refrigerator off of a generator. And I ran my freezer off of the generator, and we were also charging our cell phones off of that generator. It was the bare bones to get by, and it worked. And I never had a problem, and I was able to keep all my food cold. And we actually did pretty good, okay? The power was out for seven days, but I think in that entire seven days, those Honda inverters only wound up using about 10 gallons of fuel for the entire week. That's impressive. Yeah, they go a long way. It does not, I mean, like one fill of fuel, those things will run like 10 hours. So it's ridiculous um, how efficient they are. And if you are going to run a refrigerator off a generator, you don't necessarily have to have the refrigerator running all the time. You can run it for like six hours at a time and then shut it down for six hours, six on and six off if you're trying to conserve gas. Um, So I I believe a lot of people... Um, undervalue a good generator. Uh, some extra fuel is probably a good thing to have laying around. Um, fuel cans are not a bad thing. If you are going to store fuel, uh, it's probably a good idea to put some uh, stabilizer, fuel stabilizer in there if it's going to be sitting a long time. Uh, so there's multiple products out there that can do that because that ethanol will break down over time and the fuel will break down and it won't be as efficient after uh, most fuel, about 90, 90 or 100 days, if you haven't used some form of stabilizer in it, the fuel will be operable, but it's just not going to perform to its peak performance uh, and everything. So that's something to consider. Um, so there's fuel considerations. Um, generators are handy to have. Of course, Matt um, touched on medical supplies. Absolutely, medical supplies are important. If you're the kind of person that, let's just say you're suffering from some form of ailment and you need special medication, it's probably not a terrible idea to make sure that you've allocated uh, 60 to 90 days of medication if you're able to get that much. A lot of times if you go to your doctor, if it's a special type of medication, you can say, hey, I'm having this concern about this or that, and they'll usually write you a script to be able to up your medical supplies for a certain amount of time if you can, you know, your doctor usually can handle that for you. So medical supplies are super important, Uh, absolutely. Um, I know Matt mentioned water in the vehicle. That's a great idea. Having water is super, super important. Um, You generally need to up whatever amount of water that you're planning on having because you also need to consider um, hygiene and bathing as well. So don't don't think just drinking. Uh, Also plan water for cooking and water for hygiene and taking monkey baths. And don't um, do, you know, do not underestimate the value of good hand sanitizer baby wipes are super super important to have when the power's out you can take little monkey baths without water and surprisingly you know keep yourself pretty clean yeah no i mean i I think that that is probably one of um the most refreshing things you can do after a few days Uh, as we've both experienced it you've been out in the the desert heat when we were overseas and um it's 
you're not always uh, available to get uh, a shower. Um, right. So when you get those baby wipes and you're able to just uh, to wipe yourself down, extremely um, refreshing. It does help with your morale, and in those uh, in those uh, instances, morale is huge. You want to make sure that your morale is up. Uh, you're going to be taking care of your family, or your family is going to be uh, operating as a unit. You want to make sure everybody's morale is up uh, at the same level, um, but not only having water, not only having food, having tools, uh, basic tools uh, uh, within your household is extremely important. And what I mean by that is, do you have a pickaxe? Do you have a shovel? Do you have um, a, a, a post hole digger? These are things that you typically won't find, but are extremely useful in those instances. Uh, now, I know that we're talking short-term disaster, but and when you look at it as a whole, as a community, those are tools that are assets to the community. So if somebody says, oh, I need uh, help doing this, well, if we're all helping each other in the community, you have the tools to help out with whatever job uh, needs to be done. Um, so you won't necessarily, you might not need a pickaxe. Um, I know I have a pickaxe. I've never used it, but I like to have it. I never know when I might need it or if my neighbor might need it. If my neighbors know that they need a tool they, and I have it, they're more than welcome to come over and say, hey, Matt, uh, do you have a pickaxe or a flathead shovel or whatnot that I can use? Absolutely. Here you go. Um, it's very important just to have those tools. And they're not expensive. Um, they're, they're not terribly expensive. Um, but I will tell you the number one tool that you need to have is a saw. Not a power saw, a hand saw. Just yep. have a handsaw, guys. That will get you out of more binds in these uh, in these situations than probably any other tool, uh, except a firearm. Um, That's that, right. Yeah, you need guns. You definitely need guns. Yep. Uh, but handsaws, guys, number one tool for me in my book. I know we are getting into sort of the long term type of prep. Let's just say an extended disaster where 60 to 90 days without power is certainly a bad thing. <laughs> well, look, well, look at Katrina. That was, that was an extended, a very extended period um, where you do need those tools. Katrina was a sketchy situation. Um, I'll get back to Irma and discuss. So, um, you know, I know my sheriff pretty well here locally. So I called my sheriff and I'm like, hey, I'm going to hop in the Polaris. It was raining. It was just nuts, right? So I told the sheriff, I'm like, hey, I'm going to hop in the Polaris. And I'm going to ride around and just see if there's any trees blocking the roads in my immediate area. Let's just say within a mile radius of my house, I'm going to go clear the roads. I just wanted them to know I was doing it. Grab my chainsaw, uh, a rifle, my pistol on my side, of course, and we took to the streets in the players. No problem. We ran into we ran into a lot of people that thought we, the, we were the police just because of the way we were handling ourselves. Right. And, and I'm not saying we were trying to look all militaristic or anything like that. But, you know, if you have the air of professionalism... People always assume you're government. I don't know why. It's just weird. Anyway, so we were out clearing. Uh, we chopped down you know, a whole bunch of trees that were over the road, cleared the roads and everything. And uh, our sheriff thought that was so cool, and he was very appreciative of that. And uh, he even offered to bring me a radio so I could hear the police traffic. I'm like, ah, you don't have to do all that. But super nice guy. So I think it's important to know your local law enforcement, know where they stand in those types of situations, and know that they've got your back and you've got theirs. Become an asset to the community. Chainsaws are super handy to have uh, in terms of, uh, you know, any situation where trees might block the roads. Man, it takes two seconds with a chainsaw. 
there you go. I, I'm a big fan of steel chainsaws. I mean, that's what I typically run. Right. And it's not a big deal to have a couple of uh, containers of mixed fuel. Make sure you got bar oil. Make sure you got tools for tightening your uh, chains and things like that. Chain sharpeners, extra chains. Not that big of a deal to keep all that stuff handy. All of those uh, long-term preps withstanding in the short term, most people need to just make sure make sure you've got about 45, 60 days worth of water and food. And also, when it comes to food, people always ask, well, what are the, what are the best foods for medium to long-term storage, and what type of food should I look at doing? Well, canned food is a great opportunity because canned food generally has pretty long shelf life. Okay, uh, most canned food is going to be at least a couple of years or more. Minimum, yeah. Minimum. Um, I would say in terms of canned stuff, Look at uh, the canned corned beef hash is good because it's uh, high in carbohydrates. Uh, so anything that has meat and potatoes like corned beef hash, uh, that's nice because you've got you know good carbs. You're going to need energy, uh, and also you know a lot of diversity in terms of the way that you're you know having your food preps in place. Right, you know a good mix between dry goods, canned goods, perishables, non-perishables. Uh, vacuum sealing is also a great way to. Uh, keep certain things fresh, even if something is packaged a certain way. Like, say you buy those like small things of beans or rice or something in the little bags. Even if you can't buy the big bag, if you've got a vacuum sealing set up, you can take those uh, dry goods and then vacuum seal them. And as long as they're kept in a cool and dry place, especially with with air, it can get all around it, like on a good wire shelf or something. That stuff is going to last forever. As long as you can keep insects out of it, keep it cool and dry. Um, it's going to last a long time. I know a lot of people uh, get the large plastic containers and they'll buy bulk rice, beans, and they'll fill those containers. And you just grab a little cup and just scoop out what you need as you need it. Uh, that's a great way to do it as well. Uh, bottled water is certainly not a bad thing to have, but I would also look at getting some of the large water containers uh, as well. Okay, there's also bladders that you can get for your tubs which are super, super handy. Let's say there's an impending situation and you've only got like a day or so to get ready. Well, instead of running to the store and panicking and trying to get water, you simply put this bladder in your tub and you fill the bladder up full of water. Okay. Now that may not be water to drink, but you can cook with it. You boil it. uh, You can clean, wash with it. And then you have your bottled water that you just use strictly for drinking. With bottled water in terms of storing it, what I would strongly recommend doing is making sure it's in a cool, dry place. Don't store uh, water bottles outside in the weather on a pallet or something like that. Don't put it out in the sun because uh, the sun will eventually allow microbials to take, uh, you know, basically they're going to grow inside the bottles. And you'll notice like a green tint because it's getting mi- microbials that will actually like grow in there and everything. So cool, dry place. With no sunlight, uh, you, you know, a dark, cool, dry place is very important for storing all of your preps. Water, food, as I mentioned, um, don't overdo the tuna. I know a lot of people like tuna because it's super easy to use. I like the tuna pouches uh, because they do have a nice shelf life and they, they're very compact. They take up very little room. If you store them just right, the tuna pouches aren't bad. But watch out on the tuna. Don't rely too much on any one protein if you are going to stock canned fish or canned meats. Try to have a diversity of different things. I like the corned beef hash because you can do a lot with it. I like spam because you can do a lot with spam. And it's it's a super like hearty 
food. And it's interesting to talk about spam because spam originally was, if I'm not mistaken, like a military ration. Yeah, it was a ration pack originally, yeah. yeah. Um, but to circle back to the water, uh, another reason you don't want to store your water um, in the sun or in anywhere that's hot is because almost all these bottles are not BPA-free bottles. So when you introduce heat or direct sunlight, it's actually leaching a lot of those chemicals from the plastic into the water. So if anybody, uh, I know you've done it, I've done it myself, uh, you're just super thirsty and you run out to your car and you have that bottle of water that's been sitting in your car and it's hot and you crack it open, you're like, I don't care, I'm super thirsty, and you drink it and you just taste uh, chemically. Um, that's that, that toxic chemical. Um, so you don't want to store your water outside in direct sunlight or in the heat. Uh, like Eric said, cool, dry place, uh, and you're, you're pretty good, but you still don't want to, you want to try to avoid storing, uh, that for a long-term, long-term water period. Uh, spam, huge, uh, fan of spam. Uh, it's not just because I'm a half Korean it is part, it is a staple in the Korean diet. Uh, I'll tell you that right now. It's an actual ingredient. There's specific dishes that call specifically for spam and spam only. And if you don't use it, it's blasphemy. Um, but there is so many different things you can do with it. Um, you know, I was taught at an early age how to cook it. Uh, there's different ways to cook it. You, uh, some people would say, oh, it's too salty. Boil it. Take it right out of the can. Drop it into some boiling water as the cube, as a full cube. Boil it. Let some of that salt cook off. Um, take it out. Slice it and then fry it. Boom. Non-salty spam. I, I know it's a stereotype uh, that a lot of people would hear to when it comes to preparedness, but ramen noodles, spam, yep. you know, prepackaged foods are always good. Um, you know, but don't rely too much on canned goods or, or sealed goods. Uh, also, some dry goods are nice too. And also, I want to touch a little bit on morale. Okay, um, I know this is going to sound crazy, but like board games, uh, decks of cards, because boredom is a killer, right? If I noticed when the power was out, we, in the evening, you know, you don't have lights on, so we would light candles, and we had a, and we went through quite a few candles, so it's important to make sure you keep candles in stock, uh, or you could, uh, you know, have some lanterns or battery-powered uh, items as well. It's good to diversify. You may be in a position where you can't use a candle, so having, obviously, plenty of CR-123s, D batteries, AA's, whatever batteries your devices need, uh, that's helpful as well. A good weather radio is probably not a bad thing to have. Um, but yeah, we would run candles and we'd like play cards and board games. And there was something so comforting about, yeah, we were, you know, eating basic food. Well, we had our refrigerated goods. We were still able to cook, uh, and everything like that, but it was kind of comforting to just have a board game. And there was almost something liberating about playing a board game versus having your nose in your phone for the evening. Yeah. Because the internet wasn't working. Wasn't a whole lot to do there. So it was almost kind of liberating to not have to worry about what the world's got going on and to kind of step back for a minute. And it, it's almost uh, a positive thing for a short period. Now, I wouldn't want to have to live that way for more than about seven or 10 days, but I think the general concern is that over a you know, 30, 60, 90-day period, people are going to start suffering and hurting pretty bad. And if you haven't prepared, you've got a week's worth of groceries, you're going to be in a bad way. And I think that's what you want to try to avoid is that situation. That and um, it provides you when you start looking into like short term, 
short-term disaster preparedness uh, candles are good. They're even better for long-term because you don't want to be the only house on the block that has their lights going at night because now you're painting a target on you. Uh, And I know this comes from a place of like, oh, we're not looking at doomsday prepping, but when you start looking at it, if you even in you know the the larger disasters like Katrina and and even Irma to some points, and what happened in Puerto Rico as well, you know those are long term disasters that weren't doomsday scenarios, but they do bring out the worst in people, and we saw it time and time again. And I and I don't want to you know be the negative Nancy, but in those times you do see the worst in in people come out, and you want to try to prepare yourself. Uh, part of this preparedness you know, episode is not only preparing for it, you know, tactically wise, like food and tools, but mindset. So knowing that, Hey, even though I have a generator, I'm not going to have my lights on at night. I'm not going to be that the guy that has uh, everybody knocking on my door. Yeah. I understand that, you know, you want to help out as a community, but then you have people from outside the community coming in. And those are the ones that uh, you don't want uh, knocking on your door. So just be mindful of that. Um, board games, huge for morale, especially if you have children. Anybody that has children knows that, you know, those these kids, they they're, you know, have to be doing something all the time. There's no screens, no internet. What can you do? Read books, uh, read stories, play board games, make sure they're entertained, and you know, life will go on and hopefully we'll get services back and we'll get water restored and, um, you know, everything will, will normalize and come back to, to reality and what's normal. Um, but just making sure that you are prepared, having all the stuff that you really, really need a couple of extra things of food, couple of extra cans, just pick up a couple extra cans. Every time you go to the grocery store, not a big deal. Throw an extra can of corn in there, 49 cents. Throw an extra can of beets in there, 49 cents on your next trip. Uh, Grab a case of water, $2.35 at Costco. Just grab, you know, little things that have a very, very good shelf life. You don't have to go out there and and hoard MREs. No one's asking you to buy a 12-pack of MREs every month with a five-year shelf life. A can of green beans, uh, a can of beets, can of spam, can of corn. Eventually, over time, you're going to have a nice little... Uh, store of food. And that could be in your basement. It could be in your um, pantry. Just have a little section for it. And guys, uh, Eric was not lying. Those canned goods last a very long time, years, uh, as long as you're storing them properly. Um, And then rotate them out. Say, you know what? That can of green beans has been in there since July of last year. I'm going to eat it. And then I'm going to replace it with a new can, of, a new can of whatever it is. So rotate it out. Make sure you're rotating out your your water and all that. Um, just be on top of it. Yes, it. Some people will say, "Oh, I don't." Uh, it seems like a second job. Well, I would rather have put in a little bit of effort to make sure that I'm in a good position than be in a bad position and not have anything to to help uh, my family. Because I want to be responsible. I want to make sure that I'm doing the the most that I can do to ensure that my family is safe and not just your immediate family, your parents, your brothers, your sisters, reach out to them. Hey, is this what you're doing? Do you have a plan? What type of foods do you have? You no one's asking you to do it for them, but maybe provide them the blueprint for what you did. Hey, this is what I did. Why don't you do this? Start doing this. And then we're, we'll all be on the same page. Well, first in first out is certainly a good policy to have 
And also, expiration dates are a bit of a uh, suggestion, not so much, uh, you know, 100% gospel. So Best if you dates. do have some food that, like, is close to the expiration date and it's a survival situation, obviously open it up. It's probably fine, especially if you've kept it in really good storage conditions. A lot of times you can extend that expiration out considerably, uh, what, you know, you might do in a normal circumstance. <clears throat> And I think it's important also to kind of think about this complex world that we live in and the modern marvel that is this modern world we live in. And it has so many interesting uh, luxuries that we have that our forefathers and all of our ancestors uh, were not as lucky as we are to have what we have available. And with that big machine that it takes to uh, sustain the world that we live in, it's a complex machine. And when it breaks down, uh, it's it's usually an inconvenience, but it can get really treacherous. And I believe that a lot of people tend to undervalue and not really truly understand just how hard it is to maintain the electricity grid. Okay, so, you know, everything from producing electricity to the supply lines that carry your milk and your bread and all of the things you buy, your food, even to your Amazon orders. Uh, to getting fuel from point A to point B. There's an entire logistical um, miracle that has to happen on a consistent basis, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and has to be maintained meticulously and very, very professionally in order for you to not see a disruption of goods and a disruption of services, right? All of these things have to be maintained, and they have to be kept in order, and that requires that human interaction. It requires experts in their field to know what they're doing, to keep this power grid going, to keep this giant machine uh, that is our everyday existence rolling. We're in a unique position as a group of people in that we are finally, as a culture in general, now this has been this way, I would like to think, for quite a long time. But I believe that the world that we truly live in now is, in my opinion, the apex of, of human technology. We're living in the apex of human existence in terms of first world countries because we, are, we have the luxury of living in a situation where we no longer have to worry about survival, right? We're not going outside and having to kill animals every day and make our clothes and all of these things. So when... When you don't have to worry so much about the the everyday you know um, regimen of survival, you're able able to pursue other things, intellectual things. Uh, you're able to pursue hobbies and interests and art and all of these things. So we tend to, as a society, take these things for granted because we don't truly understand the gravity of how delicate our survival really is, even just on a day to day basis when things are normal and there's not a disaster. All the disaster really does, and whatever that disaster may be, whether it's coronavirus, whether it's a man-made disaster, or whether it's a natural disaster that we have no control over at all, when those things occur, all it does is just push that timetable out in a different way. It, it, it uh, just makes it worse, right? And we have to be able to react to that. And when the uh, system cannot keep up with our needs and our needs outstrip what the system is capable of doing, whether it's because that system is being uh, outtasked, okay, or, or outdriven, or because there was something that just stopped the system, that's what you have to prepare for. So I think it's erroneous to say, 
okay, well, something's going to get so bad that 120 days from now, we're going to be completely up the creek without a paddle. Uh, I think it would take like a literal nuclear holocaust for that to occur. And then that's a very different conversation. Very okay. different. When you get into your doomsday prepping, that's what those folks are, are planning for, nuclear fallout and long-term, like year-long storage of food and all of that. You know, that's a different discussion. Uh, here, this is like, hey, we've got hope for humanity. Things are going to get better. Uh, if you can just get through the first 60 or 90 days, uh, then all of the goods and services will be restored, and then life will be back to normal. I feel that each time that there's a natural disaster, especially hurricanes are a great example, tornadoes, up in uh, here recently up in Tennessee, yep. they just had a bad bout of tornadoes, and it killed some people, and it destroyed some historical buildings, destroyed a large section of downtown Nashville, and the NRA actually just canceled annual meeting yep. Okay, over all of this. Not only the destruction in Nashville, but the outbreak of the coronavirus. So when you see these things happening, it kind of makes you, it, it scares you because you think, well, what if the grocery store shuts down? What if I can't go buy food? And we tend to take these things for granted so much as a people, just the simple act of being able to go somewhere and buy food and not have to think about where it comes from. There's this separation where we're so jaded and we're so spoiled in our existence that we don't understand the logistical needs and wants uh, that the world hands us on a platter and we tend to just undervalue it. Yeah, and I think that with what we saw in in Tennessee was a great example of how quickly things can change. Um, One minute, there there are a, a bunch of families that are very happy sleeping in their beds and the next minute, uh, you know, very, very terrible tornado comes through and uh, wreaks havoc on an entire city. And just like that, overnight, you have a whole bunch of families displaced. You have the Red Cross coming in, trying to help out families with food and water and, and placing them, um, uh, trying to find them shelter. And that's really where the community comes in. The community did a great job of reaching out. They, I read the stories, and there's some very, very heartbreaking stories, and I'm not going to get into it because it really tugs at the heartstrings for me personally. But, um, there, I mean, the community really, really did come together, and I'm so proud to see uh, how, how well um, they came together to help out. And I hope that every community, uh, when they go through a perilous and disastrous event like that, can come together. And you do see it happen uh, time and time again uh, with these natural disasters as as much as every community can. But I would also like to, you know, segue that into uh, there are going to be times where you're not going to be able to get to a grocery store and get food and you're going to have to, um, you know, hunt for sustenance, especially if you're in rural America. And, you know, like you said, uh, that whole doomsday thing, yes, that's not what we're talking about, but 90 days is 90 days. So you're still going to have to sustain yourself and your family and all across the U.S., that looks differently for everybody. So here, oh, in, yeah, here in Georgia, uh, we're not a coastal state, but we are close to the coast. So what we would experience is more of a hurricane-level event 
versus somebody in, say, Montana, it would probably be more of like a blizzard event, something that's very cold, um, just different events for different areas of the nation. So that's going to look different. I would probably say you need to have at least a few different firearms just to make sure that you're covered across all bases. But most importantly, a 22. That's probably going to be your most versatile uh, weapon uh, as far as our tool, I should say, um, throughout this whole time. Look, I'm going to tell you right now, as a guy that spent a lot of his time as a young man around the coast of Florida, I will say this. You give me a couple of cast nets and some basic fishing tackle, and I I can make a lot of my own terminal tackle, and I can survive, trust me. (laughs) As long as I've just got a decent fishing pole and some terminal tackle and I'm just, you know, have a little bit of knowledge and know that I can go into a situation with a bit of tackle, I'm pretty good at, you know, self-diagnosing issues and I take good care of my equipment. But let's just say in a world where I don't have to worry about equipment, I've got my equipment I need, my my cast nets, I can catch food, okay? (laughs) I I ain't going to go hungry. If I'm near the ocean, I can catch all different kinds of food to eat. So that's not a problem. Um, So understand like how to how to gather right how to gather food uh what types of plants are toxic and what isn't what you can eat and what you shouldn't eat stay away from mushrooms Uh, there there are excellent volumes out there that can give you a lot of uh you know idea of the toxicity of different plants and let you know what's safe to eat and what isn't so a good field manual is probably not a bad idea to have excellent uh, idea that gives you you know illustrations like color illustrations of of what you can and can't eat uh, also, there are lots of fish species. Uh, you know, know what what you can catch, what you can't. Um, you know, what you probably. I mean, this probably isn't as much of a thing, but you know, there is a proper process for like cleaning crabs versus you know other types of uh, you know crustaceans. But you guys know the drill when it comes to you know being near the coast or even freshwater. I mean, I can catch trout, bass, whatever. So fishing is a great way to gather. Uh, hunting obviously really really awesome i mean like here in the south we got white-tailed deer we got turkey we got hogs i mean unless things got really 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 bad it's safe to say your average southern guy is going to be okay to be able to go out and collect and gather uh, off of the land just like our ancestors did before us long long time ago Uh, now it's safe to say that in some horrible disaster situation all right it's not deer season well, guess what? I'm eating that deer, okay, because I ain't going to die just because it ain't deer season. And That's I, right. I'm pretty sure that if there were some horrible disaster, that the DNR and other government agencies are going to have a lot more to worry about than whether or not you're poaching deer outside of deer season. And honestly, they may even say, look, guys, I mean, <laughs> it ain't deer season, but if you see a deer and you're hungry, just do what you need to do. It's not... I just don't see that as being a problem and, and almost to the degree that the government would probably acknowledge it and just say, look, guys, you need to hunt, hunt, whatever. I mean, I, I don't see that being a non, or, you know, an issue really in that type of situation. We're talking 90 days plus, and it's like there's still no, you know, uh, services or anything. Oh, like yeah, that. yeah. No, no food, no services, no goods, a disruption of everything. Yeah, 90 days in, you're going to see people hunting, living off the land. At Absolutely, that point, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, I've actually heard stories of uh, DNR officers, and even when it's off season, they'll run into people hunting whitetail or deer, and they will legitimately say, "Like, hey, this is for sustenance." And you know, 
they're just going to say, okay, because I mean, honestly, if you're out there hunting and they're having that conversation with you, there's a a certain level of discretion, just like any other officer has. Um, There's a certain level of discretion where they say, all right, this guy is, is hunting for sustenance. He legitimately needs this to, to eat. This is his family's meat. Um, they're going to let you take that deer because that's especially if it's your property. I would really hope so. Otherwise, that's going to be a pretty yeah. big issue there. Um, there's a lot of that that goes on. I mean, even in southern Georgia now. I mean, uh, there's lots of folks that still kill deer all year round, and they don't, you know, they don't worry about right. it. They're not. And, going and for I'm the not rack. saying go out and like try to break the law or 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 whatever. I'm not saying I'm a poacher, and I'm not saying go be a poacher, but. There's a fine line between something being against the law and something being, hey, you got to survive, right? right. In, in that type of situation. It's all in the context of how something happens, right? No one can blame you for feeding your family, okay? Exactly. And uh, that's always happened and it will continue to happen. So, um, yeah, hunting and gathering, definitely not a bad thing. Food, food and water preps, we covered medical. That's really important. Uh, medical can't be stressed enough. I mean, because... In this disruption of goods and services, that also means calling nine one one and having an ambulance come get you or something. So, you know, you 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 take for granted a little cut or a scrape or basic boo boo, and you think, oh, it's no big deal. But if that's the crap gets infected, you can't just go down waltz down to the you know store and get your you know prescription field for antibiotics right. or you can't go down to the nearest hospital and get seen. The hospitals are going to be completely overwhelmed with really really bad stuff that they're gonna look at you with a cutter scrape and go yeah you just need to deal with it and you know they're not going to try to bog down their system over the basic thing but those basic wounds getting you know uh infected that can be a deal breaker and you can certainly have a hard time with that in this situation of disrupted uh goods and services so it's important to have you know be able to clean wounds really well dress wounds really well even and don't take a small scrape for granted, even if it's a little cut that you would normally just, eh, whatever. Clean it out, put a Band-Aid on it with some Neosporin, move on with life. Yep. Yeah, Just little boo-boos, it's still important to take those seriously because you may not have the luxury of being able to just go down to the nearest uh, clinic and get looked at if it goes south. Especially on your feet. Guys, uh, there's no such thing as ignoring a cut on your foot. Um, you really want to take care of your feet. Uh, this comes from experience. You don't ignore it. If you get a cut on your foot, uh, a puncture, anything like that, really, really make sure you clean that out because you know you use your feet every day, all day. You're on it. Um, it's a breeding ground for bacteria. You have sweat. You have boots on. Um, you really want to make sure you clean those out. Staff uh, is is a is a real real problem. MRSA is a real real problem. Uh, those will get into you. They will cripple you, um, and they will kill you if they if it goes on long enough. So you want to make sure that um, you're taking care of those hands, feet, um, in general. Make sure you have you know all those extra supplies just a little bit. Uh, if you have the ability to, uh, antibiotics, having a couple Z packs never hurt. Uh, you never know when you would need those antibiotics uh, to run. Of course, if you do run into a bout of uh, different infections, it's going to clear it up. So if you have a Z pack, if you're able to get your doctor to get you uh, another prescription, kind of depends on how cool your doctor is. If you, uh, usually you can do get away with that with like your family medicine doctor, um, They'll, they'll let you do that. 
Um, but just make sure you're prepared. I know we, we touch on a lot of different things in this episode. Hopefully, um, you know, you guys were able to take what we, uh, provided you guys today and maybe come up with your own plan of action, your own, uh, not prepper plan, but your preparedness plan, making sure that you have all of these pieces in place, or even if you start to put these in place, these things in place, you don't have to uh, instantly go out and buy everything and have it ready. You can start piecemealing it together little bit by little bit until you get to your end result. It's like, uh, and it's like collecting with anything else. You don't just go out and buy an entire collection of anything. You start with one and then you start, you slowly build on it. And nothing can be uh, different in this situation. A hundred percent. I think we're on the same page there. Let every type of planning scenario be something you tailor individually for your family's needs and for your needs, right? And don't don't worry about you know the whole chicken little complex. The sky's not falling. Okay, the world's not going to end. It's going to keep on spinning, guys. Uh, you know we don't want to look at this from a doom and gloom standpoint. This is just common sense to be ready. For a bad situation, and this transcends all types of political barriers, or wherever you might be on that fence, or even whether or not you're a gun owner is relevant. Like we're obviously pro gun. Uh, if you obviously. guys know me from my right veteran eighty eight eighty eight, you know that I'm extremely pro gun. But you don't even have to be a pro gun person to be able to protect yourself in a passive way. Being prepared is just smart, no matter who you are. And I would encourage anyone. Uh, to take a little bit of time to just make sure that you can handle a disruption of goods and services for 30, 60 days, especially right now, literally. Trump is probably on the air right now talking about what's going on. I wish I knew what was uh, happening, but Trump very well, as we speak, could declare a uh, state of national emergency. And with that could come things as scary as martial law. Let's hope it doesn't come to that. The scary thing about martial law is that they can also confiscate guns in certain situations. Good luck. Uh, yeah, well, that's not going to happen here. <laughs> but but look at Katrina. Like They were going around, and they were rounding up guns. And they did that whole thing under the purview of martial law of, oh, it's for your safety. So there's that thing to consider uh, is that if you have things that are valuable, uh, have a way to protect those things. And your life is the most valuable asset you have, even beyond the jewelry or the laptop or your your TV or, or whatever, right? At the end of the day, if you're not alive to enjoy it, then it's no point. What What is possession if <laughs> you're not there to, to have it? So keep that in mind, guys. Uh, it's very important that we protect our communities, protect each other, come up with a plan that works for you, implement it, and don't panic. Do a little bit at a time. Don't create a financial burden. Uh, you know, like Matt said, a little bit at a time, collect it here and there, a couple of extra bits of food here and there, store it properly, and move on with life and just, um, you know, let things naturally take that sort of progression. So, uh, guys, thank you so much for tuning into our podcast today. Maybe uh, you left this video, or I say video because I'm so used to doing YouTube stuff. Maybe you're you're coming off of this podcast a little bit better informed, and, and maybe you've got some ideas that you didn't think about. But thank you guys very much for watching or listening. Listen to me. I'm still in YouTube mode. <laughs> I haven't had it. enough Don't coffee worry. today. You'll get it. Don't worry. <laughs> thank you for listening, and we really appreciate the support for Life for Liberty and the Pursuit. Uh, we have many more episodes on the way. Let me know if you like this type of format. Please go on there and leave us a positive five-star glowing rating. And if it's not a five-star podcast... Don't tell anybody. <laughs> Just ignore it and move on. Ignore it and move on. <laughs> or tell us what we're doing wrong so we can correct it. But thank you guys so much for listening. Many more podcasts on the way. And this has been Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit, your home for all things freedom. 
Thank you, guys. Have a good one. Signing off.